Hello, hello. Welcome to another devotion with Patrick and Jamie. We're excited to have you with us. And we're going to do something a little edgy today, Patrick. What is, it, what is it we're doing? We are going to read an entire chapter of the Bible. Whoa. A whole chapter? That's right. So how many verses is that, Patrick? Only 38. Okay. Oh, 38. That's pretty long. Well, I guess if if that's how it is, we should probably get started. Uh, We're going to read out of Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start with verse 1 and go until the end. So if you're going to follow along on your phone or your iPad or your computer or your Bible, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 8. Here we go with verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We will know that the whole creation has 
been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who has been, who, who have been called according to his purpose for those God foreknew. He also proceeded to be conformed in this, in the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many other brothers and sisters and those he predestined. He also called those he called. He also justified those he justified. He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are only going to talk about those last three verses. Uh, Jamie, you want to read them again for us so we know specifically what we're talking about here? Yeah. So here we are at the end of Romans 8. Uh, we're going to read verses 37, 38, and 39. No. It begins with no. <laughs> no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Cool, man. So this passage, Romans 8, I've, I've spoken with several pastors who would consider Romans 8 to be their favorite chapter in the Bible. Whoa. Did they say why? Um, they say because it's so theologically like rich and dense, which when someone says that, my first, my first thought is like, oh, I'm not going to be able to understand that. 
You know, that's like my first go-to. If someone's like, oh, that's very theologically rich, I'm like, oh, man, that's too <laughs> rich for my blood. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I better, like, take some steps back uh, and see if I can pull anything out of it. Um, but I think what it is is there's just so many good things in it that it becomes um, a really helpful thing. Also, for us, uh, in, in a lot of, like, theology or people who are professional theologians or like pastors or, or seminary professors, they really like things that are, are arguments when someone makes an argument or makes a case. And in this chapter, you have Paul who's making an argument. He's making a case for something. Hmm. And, um, and so because of that, there's a lot kind of that you can pull that's, that's more of an argument. That's more of something, not about how you feel necessarily with your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's propositional truth. So someone's holding up this idea, uh, that we get to look at and we get to understand. And so I think when you unpack it and you try to understand it more, it becomes, um, you, know, you pull out even more meaning. It's kind of like in Shrek when he says onions have layers. Uh, <laughs> I think the Bible is a lot like a, an onion. Oh. Um, you know, the whole thing, I know, the whole thing is still an onion, right? That, you know, the whole thing, every part of it. But as you peel back the layers, you kind of get, you get more and more. Yeah. And so in this particular uh, chapter, we could spend... I don't know. We could spend all sorts of time unpacking it, but I like the idea of looking at these last three verses to see what we can learn about God. Yeah. And I can see how uh, people would like to kind of tear that apart and try to figure out a way that this, those last two verses, last three verses are not true. You know what I'm saying? Mm. People can make arguments that, like, oh, well, you know what? Actually, th- like I am, I have fallen so far away from God into like some crazy depth that, you know, I'm separated from him. Or, you know what? I am just totally, this other item became more of a God to me. So I started worshiping that. So I'm disconnected. I'm separate from yeah. God. Or, uh, you know what, you know, this, like this demon entered my life and it's just been shaking me up and it separated me from God or, you know, this a- other angel showed up and now, and you know, it pulled me away from God and I'm, I'm separated. You know, all of those examples are not powerful enough to separate us from the love of God. It's, uh, it's amazing how that works. Now there's a lot of things in our life that are conditional. Um, you know, it's like, if you want to go to a good college, well, you better get good grades. Or if you want to, you know, in my house, it's like, if you want to earn your allowance, you better do your chores. Um, it's just the way it works. Or if you want to have the Wi-Fi work, you need to be within a certain, you know, distance of your router uh, or whatever. Right. So like there's things in our life that are conditional and that's just kind of the way they work. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard for us to understand that there's this thing called unconditional love. Yeah. And so Paul can't, when he writes this, he can't just write it and say like, God loves you unconditionally. He has to like really drive the point home. And so as we're reading it, uh, there's these two words that kind of alternate back and forth, neither and nor, right? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. Well, if you read it in the original language, the words for neither and nor are exactly the same. Well, um, so it's basically like saying, you know, I'm convinced that 
not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not the present, not the future, not any powers. And it gets into this like this almost like song or this crescendo. It's like it's this high point of what he's saying where he's just driving the point home like someone would be, you know, driving uh, a nail into wood. You know, he's just going after it, getting this down. And it's all about God's love. And I love that because we've just read this like really important theological uh, argument at the beginning where, where in the beginning of eight, he's talking about living by the patterns of, of the flesh versus the spirit uh, and what that means and, and how Christ is so central in this. And I mean, it becomes this like really important thing, but he ends with Jesus. That's like the last part of this chapter, right? That is Christ Jesus, our Lord and God's love for us. Yeah. Now I don't know, Patrick about you. And sometimes this question gets a little tough for us, but I know that there's relationships I've had in my life where people who loved me only did so conditionally. And maybe not because they're evil or they're bad people, but it was just the way it it worked. So for instance, you know, your friends, maybe, maybe you're thinking about your friends you have uh, right now and your friends are only your friends if maybe you act a certain way or you dress a certain way or you, um, you know, on your social media, you only post the right things uh, or you only say the right things. And the, the love that they have is conditional. It depends on that. Um, I don't know, Patrick, if you've ever dealt with that before, maybe when you were in high school or middle school. Yeah, definitely a little bit. In high school, I was one of the first people of my class to get my driver's license. And as soon as I got it, it was like, oh, man, this guy has his license. He's got a car. <laughs> now, now, like everyone wanted to be my friend. And you're a rock star, man. <laughs> yeah. You were like Justin Bieber. I, I guess. And <laughs> every Wednesday, our school had our lunch. And all of a sudden on Wednesdays, I had, a, you know, a list of people texting me saying, hey, let me get a spot in your car. Hey, where are you going? And, you know, the rest of the week, we'd pass in the like hall and passing periods and maybe a hello, maybe not. And sometimes not. So yeah, you know, definitely felt the conditional thing because I had, you know, open seats in my car. And sometimes my friends would say, Oh, you don't have an open seat. That's okay. I'll ride in the trunk. I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to let you ride. (laughs) No, I'm not going to let you ride in the truck. We're not in the trunk. We're not that good of friends, but you know, that was, that was that. But what is, uh, what stands out to me about this passage is there's no give and take, right? There's no give Mm -hmm. and take. Uh, Nothing um, is going to separate us from the love of Christ. And we don't need to give anything either because it's already there. Um, And the examples you said about your kids, it's like, well, you're not going to get your allowance unless you do your chores. There's a give and take there. And that's not, that doesn't exist with Christ. Christ is always going to love us. And that's why I really like the neither the present nor the future line is because if we make a mistake now, that's not going to be so bad. There's nothing that is like so bad that we can do that will separate us from God. And that is such a, an important thing to remember when you feel like you've sinned or done wrong and you think it's the worst of the worst of the worst. God is going to forgive you we're not going to be separated from him. And you know what? We've been trained though. And I think sometimes we get a little 
confused about this because even in the book of Romans, uh, we hear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we know that sin, like when we make mistakes or we do something against God, um, what we see in that was like, oh, that's, that's separating us from God. That is putting a barrier between us and God. And, and there's a reality that sin does have uh, this, this barrier, puts up this barrier between us and God. And so when we, when we sin, we think, oh, that's how I'm going to get away from God. Well, the reality is, is that that barrier was already broken down in a timeless way by Christ. God's already paid the price. That barrier has been broken down. And that's why God's love can get uh, through. That's why God's love, we can never be separated from God's love is because Jesus Christ has already paid the price for everything wrong that we have done and for everything wrong that we are going to still do. Um, And so we live under that love. We live in that love. Now, what I've noticed in, in, you know, through the years hanging out with people and it's not just high school people, it's people of all ages. um, I'll notice that people will stop wanting to go to the church or maybe they'll stop wanting to read their Bible. They'll stop wanting to interact with their faith. And, um, usually most of the time there's a reason for that. And typically what it is, is maybe they've made some mistakes. Uh, you know, maybe they, um, started partying, uh, and feel like, well, I can't party and also go to church or, uh, maybe, you know, they've, they've started a relationship with, you know, a boy or a girl, and maybe they started having sex just for example. And, um, and they feel like, well, I can't do that because I don't think God wants me to do that. So I'm just going to leave the church or, or maybe they, they started doing, um, you know, hanging out with friends that don't believe in God. And so they're starting to think about not believing in God and what that's like. Uh, and they have doubt and they're like, man, I, I'm doubting this whole God thing. And so the easiest thing for them to do is to say, well, I'm just not going to do anything that's churchy. Like, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to do Bible stuff. I'm not. And you can do that. Like, right. Hypothetically, anyone can do that. Anyone can say, yeah, you know, I'm, I give, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go live in a different way. Yeah. And what Paul is saying here, and I love this is that you can do that, but guess what? That's not going to separate you from God's love. God is still going to love you in the midst of whatever your behavior is. Right. That doesn't mean it's best for you. It doesn't mean that it's what God wants for you, but God is still going to love you. Yeah. Um, and we see so many stories in scripture of God doing that. You know, right now what comes to mind is, is the woman who's caught in adultery and, and she is there. And, you know, according to the law, she's supposed to be killed. Um, and they ask Jesus, you know, what, you know, what should you do? And, and Jesus basically says, Hey, you know, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. Um, Jesus in that moment was like loving this woman who was caught in the midst of, of her sin and her mistakes. Uh, he was showing love instead of condemnation. And I think that's what we see here, uh, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Yeah, nothing. And yeah, I mean, even if you run away from church as an establishment and the people that you know that are there because of something that you did, you know, <laughs> Nothing, not even that is going to separate us from the love of God. Isn't that crazy? You could even say, I don't believe in God. And guess what? That's not going to separate you from his love. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? You could say that in Antarctica, <laughs> uh, miles away from any other human. And, you know, God will, not, that won't even separate us. There's nowhere, you can't escape. 
And so, you know, Paul drives this point home uh, at the end. And even at the beginning, he's saying, you know, there are people who are predestined. It's like God's already coming after you. God's already chosen you and you can run all you want, but uh, he's coming after you. And there's nothing you can do. Like, sorry, <laughs> game over. God wins. Yeah. Um, but the the beauty of that is that it's it's God's love that's winning. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing of, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of God sounds a little aggressive. You have to understand that it's not coming from, that's not what it's coming from. It's coming from a place of true love and caring. And uh, yeah, you might like try to run, you might try to hide and everything. You might not even talk to God for a long time, but he's still going to be at work in a very gentle and loving way. And he'll sit and continue to love and wait until you, you come around and you say, you know what? My life was better with God. My life was better with the, the people that I knew in my church youth group or my church small group, mm-hmm. or, you know, my life was better when I was getting fed every Sunday or fed every Wednesday and God's going to continue to love and he's going to continue to wait. And it's not, out of aggression. He's not trying to be greedy. He's trying to be the most caring, um, out of the most caring person ever. You know, I, I think there's probably people out there, um, who either are listening to this or, or maybe who, um, you know, maybe, you know, someone, maybe you're listening to this and you know, someone who feels this way. You feel like you have fallen out of God's love. Uh, maybe you feel like somehow you've wiggled your way out of God loving you. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, sometimes really bad things happen in your life. Um, you know, family situations might happen that are really bad. Uh, you may not get the things that you really wanted. Um, something just tragic could happen to you. And, and those things do happen. And you're feeling like, well, somehow I have I've found my way out of God's love. And we just have to remember, go back to this verse, uh, that there is nothing. No power on earth, no power in heaven, no power anywhere um, that has the ability to separate us from the love of God. Um, What an amazing truth that we can own for ourselves. The amount of love that we truly understand, when we truly understand how big God's love is for us, how powerful the magnetic force, right, of God's love for us, when when we truly get that, that's when we start to realize that, we want to live lives that are, that are in sync with that same kind of love. Mm. We want to love other people with love that's like that love. Yeah. We want to give to other people in a way that God gave to us without expectation, without, um, uh, without having any expectation that we get anything back. We want to be um, as loving as Christ has loved us. So if you're feeling that, uh, even today, you're feeling the love of Christ, you know that God loves you. Um, the next obvious thing to do is give that love back. Yeah. Uh, spread spread that love to other people. Uh, worship when we worship God, we you know sing songs to God, paint a picture, um, pray to God. That's all a response to that love that God has given us. So, um, with that, I just want to thank everyone for joining us uh, today and looking at Romans eight, especially these last three verses of it. And we are excited to live uh, in God's love. Praise the Lord. Amen.